Hi, this is Robin McCauley. You are tuned in and listening to Focus on Metal. Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, and welcome to another episode of that, which we refer to as Focus on Metal. And this week, we have once again a constantly recurring guest, vocalist Robin McCauley back on board. Robin always seems to be a very busy guy, and uh, everything that we're talking to him about this week uh, definitely proves that out, as uh, in a few weeks, he has the brand new uh, Michael Shankerfest released Revelations coming out. He is busy working with our buddy Jeff Pilsen and Reb Beach and Matt Starr on a project that I believe Pilsen was quoted as saying that uh, if they told you the name, they were going to have to kill you. So he's been busy on that. He talks a little bit about it, but not too much. They've been trying to keep a lot of that stuff under wraps. And also because Richie always takes the opportunity to reach back and talk about some of his favorite albums. The uh, fact that the Macaulay Shanker release, Save Yourself, is 30 years old this year. So Richie decided to take a little bit of this time to talk to Robin all about that, the whole genesis of it, writing, what he thinks about it today, all that good stuff, and a few other little topics he throws in there with him as well. So we have basically got a good, solid hour of nothing but Richie and Robin talking about all kinds of stuff, and we're going to kick that off right now. Boy, you are on time. Uh, aren't Irish guys always on time, Robin? You, you know, let me tell you. How are you? Richie? I'm very good. How's it going? I'm good, and you? I am great, sir. I am great. Uh, thanks for taking some time oh, out for, for me. For God's sake. I know, great, dude. I know you're, uh, you're in L.A., aren't you? I'm actually home for a couple of weeks, which makes a nice welcome change for me. Nice, nice. So, got some gardening to do, got a big, long honeydew list to do. <laughs> I'm in the same boat. <laughs> the, the, the garden is always there. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I always say to my wife. It's not going anywhere. I'll get to it. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're counting down to the days when you're on the road again so you can leave the garden alone. I know, dude, you know, peace, (laughs) peace, peace, peace and respite. (laughs) So, so Robin, a couple of reasons I have you on. I want to get into Save Yourself, which is 30 years old, if you can believe that. I know, dude. I know. How old does that make me? <laughs> Don't answer that. No, and I I did speak to Jeff Pilson uh, backstage about six or eight weeks ago. We talked a little oh. bit about the project that you're doing yeah. with Red Beach, and if you yes. want to spend a few minutes talking about the the Shanker album, excellent, the new one, excellent. we we can do all that and whatever else you got going on, rating the Rock Vault and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Shanker. Uh, we just received uh, um, our official uh, download from Nuclear Blast, which is Michael's label. Um, so I actually only on um, on Friday, I actually received uh, the the final mix of what is what will be the new Schenker album, Revelation. Oh. Uh, that is due for release on September twentieth, and. Uh, up on Michael's site, official site, uh, was the second video from Revelation called um, Sleeping With The Lights On. So that's, that's up on YouTube. It's available. And uh, we shot that in downtown L.A. It was a, it was a blast. It was a great day. And um, you know, a lot of people ask the same question. You know, what is it like working with all the singers together? And it's, you know, just to backtrack a little bit, three years ago, um, when Michael's lawyers first contacted me uh, on the possibility of Graham and Gary and myself uh, performing at Sweden Rock, which was the the very first time all three singers went out. And I didn't hesitate, Richie. I went, man, you know, uh-huh. in one in one format or another with Michael, I ended up singing Graham and, 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 and Gary's songs, you know, in my time with Michael. And... I, I didn't hesitate. I thought, my God, to get up there with these guys and actually hear it happening live, no matter what it is, 30 years later or whatever, uh, was was a no-brainer. 
And it kind of snowballed after Sweden Rock, and the promoters thought the idea was great. And uh, then he added Doogie from his Temple of Rock period. Um, and, you know, suddenly we were doing like a two and a half, almost a three hour live set. And while it's an incredibly long showtime, people people just didn't seem to be bored with it. And, and three years later, we're, we're still doing it. We're already booked, if not sold out for, I think, four or six shows in Japan uh, next March. And um, now they're putting together another leg of, of uh, a European tour to follow uh, pretty much immediately after the, uh, the Japanese tour. Uh-huh. So... Uh, second video came out Friday officially, and uh, the album will be released um, September 20th. And uh, Nuclear Blast really, they really liked Michael. They were after him for for quite a number of years to get him on onto their label, and they really like him and they love what he does, and, and they're very supportive. And I think for the first time, he's having a great time with a label that really supports their artist. They just, you know, they like what Michael Schenker does. Now, Robin, was so, the, was so the that's pl- a really good thing. Mm. Now, Robin, was the plan always to make more albums in the same vein as, as, as the first one? Like, is it a surprise to you now that you're actually doing another album pretty quickly after the first one? Um, you know, when, when, when Michael introduced us to it, let me just, just answer that as a whole. This entire concept is Michael Schenker's. It's, it, it, it's any of the thinking, any of the planning really doesn't involve anybody else except Michael. He puts it together and, you know, he sends out the message, are you available? Do you want to do it? Do you not want to do it? And he kind of leaves it up to the individuals. He's not forcing anybody to do it. We all know what the concept is of working all singers together. And and that's what kind of makes it work. And I think if anybody dropped out, I wouldn't be so interested in it because I think that's really what, 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 uh, what inspired me to do it to begin with was the fact that I could actually work with the other guys. Uh-huh. And I think that, and I think that's what makes it special. And I think if there's, if there's one of them not there, whether it was Gary or Graham or Doogie, um, and I know this respect to Doogie, but Gary Graham and myself would, would, are the originals. And then Michael, you know, refers to Doogie as his temple of rock singer. Um, but the all four singers together as a whole, I think it's what makes it works because yes, it's a very long set, but it really does go through all of those phases of, of Michael's history. And, and they're all very different from Gary right at the beginning into Graham, who never actually toured uh, really with Michael because his only record with Michael, which is one of the greatest is assault attack. Oh. And he never really, he never really toured. He did, I think like three live shows and there was a big kerfuffle on stage and that was the end of that. So Graham never actually, those songs never really saw the light of day with Graham Bonnet singing them. We all sort of sang our version of it throughout the years because assault attack and, 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 um, desert song, et cetera, et cetera. You know, dancer, all we'd all whistle our version of it, but never with Graham. And now Graham is in, you get to hear the real deal. So that's kind of an added bonus, having Graham Bonnet come out and actually do what he never really did with with, with Michael. Hmm. So um, for anybody to drop out, I think would 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 lose it for me because because that's what really inspired me to do it to begin with the fact that we could all get up there and work together and there's just we have a blast i mean i know it's like what people are, yeah come on but tell me what it's really like but it really is like that it's it's uh it's a lot of fun there's a great a great level of respect for everybody and my set is completely different than gary's as it is to graham's as it is to doogie's and and what's fun is we 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 all get to go back up throughout everybody else's set and do backup vocals and it's just a, it's just it's I never I never actually thought when I first said yes to doing it that it would turn out to be as much fun as, as it has been and am I surprised that there's a second record no because I think Michael has a vision 
he has a vision that he wants to just he wants to just roll from one into the next and and I think he sees now he's he's he he always talks about the style that he's writing in i mean michael doesn't michael doesn't listen to anybody else's music, so he's not influenced by any other sound that's going on around him, so people will go, dude, you need to move on, you know, or something like uh-huh. excuse me i just I just got my phone, but he doesn't listen he doesn't listen to uh he doesn't listen to what's current, what's not current, or what's hip or what isn't hip. He just doesn't. And he will tell you that. He goes, I don't listen to other people's music. Because uh-huh. he, be, he doesn't want to be influenced. He just writes like Michael Schenker writes. And how the records come about is uh, he works very closely with uh, his producer in Germany, uh, Michael Voss. And they will compile a bunch of songs and each singer is sent out all of the tracks, all of them, in, in the very rough musical recorded format. And he usually allows us to go, okay, pick pick two songs. Pick two that you want to work on. And, you know, like, like on Revelation, for example, I had already worked on like seven of the tracks. And, you know, you send them in back to them in a rough format. And then you get an email that goes, um, I only want you to work on number four and number seven. <laughs> and you go, fuck, I just spent all of this time, <laughs> you know, writing lyrics and melodies. And we go, no, I just want you to work on these two. That way it gets a different feel for how everybody sits in, in the track of their choice, if you will. And so I got my two. I finished them. I sent them back. He loved it. And then he usually works together with the producer and picks what would be the singles. So invariably, the singers really don't have anything to do with the single tracks. It's something that he works on together with the producer. Uh-huh. And and then we shoot the video for that and Bob's your uncle. And uh, that way he feels that there are two, two songs, two videos um, that, they release the singles. I mean, what are singles anymore? You know, they're just they're just setups for promotional purposes for the release of a new album. You know, uh-huh. um, and they go they they go up on YouTube. People can download them. They can go to iTunes. They can get them that way. And then on throughout the album, all the singers get their get their two tracks, and there's usually an instrumental, which there is on this one too. Uh-huh. And it's a different. This is different than than than. Uh, than resurrection it's a little bit more i don't want to say structured but it sounds a little bit more structured to me and it's it's uh it's definitely a, a faster pace than resurrection you can feel that it's sort of it, it's a step up now because it's we, we did resurrection and i think he was kind of getting a feel for it what we do now this one is a step up and it's it, it's it's pretty it, it's pretty ass kicking. So, so um, he's very happy with it. The label are very happy with it, and we go out and we'll promote the crap out of this one too. Uh, so when when it comes to picking the songs in the live set, you said Michael is in control of the the stuff now with the, with the record. How much say yeah. do you have in the Macaulay Shanker stuff that's put in the live set, or does Michael just pick the songs and say, "Here, Robin, we're singing these"? Yes, that's exactly what happens. Okay. Yeah. So that's exactly what happened. So which which songs from that era would you love to do live that you haven't done yet? Ooh, um, we haven't actually touched anything, I think, at all of the very last studio album that both James Kotak and Jeff Pilton played on. A lot of people keep saying that they want to hear stuff like Eve, they want to hear When I'm Gone, they want to hear... Um, crazy they want to hear other stuff like that we haven't touched anything it's never seen the light of day on a live format i think michael michael's idea of a live show is he likes to keep it pretty fast paced he Uh wants everything to be very up tempo uh um what i didn't know was going to happen this time is on revelation um there's live versions of uh, Bad Boys and live versions of uh, Rock Bottom and live versions of um, Armed and Ready included as bonus tracks. And they sound phenomenal. They're, they're, they're huge. 
and and it, it there's there's no overdubs. It's just exactly like it was recorded, and everybody's in pretty fine form on there. Huh. And um, with respect to picking the track, while I might want to do one thing and Michael picks something else, I think what's important is that it's his concept and he needs to feel comfortable with it. And um, when he feels comfortable with it, it's going to just turn out that much better because because he feels good playing it. And uh, sometimes, you know, he'll pick something and he'll go, eh, maybe not so good live, let's do something else, you know, but he'll, he'll invariably pick it. And they spend a lot of time rehearsing it. And Michael and I are very similar in, in I remember in the Macaulay Schenker days, we, we used to always say to each other, whatever we record is what we have to be able to play live. And I'm a real stickler, and I understand that when you go live, you have a little chance to sort of move things around a little bit. If I go to see a band and there's a song that I like, I want to hear it just like the damn record. Mm. <laughs> that's, just, that's just how I am. Yeah. Um, that's just how I am. And a lot of people go, nah, I can't do that. I'm just going to do it my way. And then you go, man, now it's a different song, you know, than, than what people are used to hearing. And I don't personally don't like that. I never have. And one of the things uh, I'm happy to say that at least with the Macaulay Schenker stuff, um, it's exactly like the damn record, you know, uh-huh. the keys of the, the keys of the same, I can still sing in the same, the same, same uh, register that I did 30, 35 years ago. Nothing has changed. Everything. A lot of people are dropping it down a half step, dropping down a whole step, and it sounds like shit. And I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate that uh, my voice is still, is still there, and I can. It still sounds exactly whether you love it or hate it. It still sounds exactly like we recorded it. You know, uh-huh. and Michael has always been exceptionally brilliant when it comes to his solos for any of the stuff. He he plays it exactly like it was recorded. He's yeah. a stickler for he's a stickler for that shit. I mean, if you talk about save yourself, celebrating thirty years, that whole intro. I remember when we wrote Save Yourself, that whole intro wasn't there at the time. And I remember saying to him, I said, we need to, we need to set this song up with a piece, with something. And he would have a habit of, of, of practicing before he'd start recording. And he was noodling around on that piece. And I went, what is that? That sounds, that sounds awesome. And he goes, oh, just practice licks, you know? And he worked it up and, and uh, it became that whole intro to save yourself yeah and it's amazing when we go out live and he starts to play that people immediately are, are, are ready for it because it's a, just a very impressive piece of of, of guitar work uh-huh. that whole intro and and it, and it doesn't change exactly like he recorded it it's exactly like you get it live huh. and i personally i personally like that because because i think it's one of the greatest uh pieces that he's written we're not worthy huh. so yeah, Robin, yeah. let's get into that record a little bit more in depth now. Two big changes in with the band for that record uh, than the previous one, Perfect Timing. You had a new producer. Well, let's tackle that one first. Did you want to work with Andy Johns again? Um, we felt, um, God rest his dear soul, we felt that uh, Perfect Timing was a letdown. Um, we didn't like the final mix on the record. It was a difficult record to record, and he was a difficult person to work with. You know, he had his reputation in so much as Michael had his reputation. When you get those two, uh, when you go those two elements together, it makes it makes it a little. It can either be great or or not. And uh, we felt that um, Michael's whole guitar playing on Perfect Timing was, to say the least. Um, it, it 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 certainly wasn't showcased. We we felt we didn't like where it was in the mix. Uh, there were arguments about it. Um, a lot of people say it's a great record. A lot of people say it was just too poppy. It was just it just wasn't. It had no meat and potatoes. And so when we moved away from perfect timing, we didn't. We certainly wanted to move away from the sound that that the final mix had given us. And so uh, we ended up with with uh, Frank Filippetti. You know, we loved everything that Foreigner had done. But then he also he also had been working with 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 Corn, and 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 we just wanted to bring in something fresh, 
and different and and somebody that was going to listen to what we wanted um, you know and of course when we did perfect timing um there was so much pressure on us to to you know being the 80s you know if you don't write the big power battle if you don't write this particular kind of structure or format you know, you're not going to get your MTV or your VH1, and you're not, probably not going to get tours and blah, 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 blah. So there was always the pressure of writing a certain way so that, you know, you'd become uh, you'd become MTV friendly. Now, of course, when we got into Save Yourself, um, we had a lot of stuff on there that was MTV friendly, not least to say, you know, when any time was done. Uh-huh. And, of course, with the big production of... Frank Filippetti and everything that he was used to with with Foreigner, there was a, a slimmer chance that we were going to fall short of that. You know, it was a great production, and we were more, we were definitely happier with it. Although Mike Michael now nowadays thinks that you know all of the Mikolashenko stuff was <laughs> music for house music for housewives. I think it's. Um, but, you know, God bless the housewives. They love that kind of shit. You yeah. Know? <laughs> so, so, Robin, what other producers were on the list? Like, what were, who were, who was on your wish list? Who would you like to have worked with then? Oh God, I can't even remember. I think Bob Rock was on there. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh man. Um. Who else was on there? Who did? Uh, I can't remember. God forgive me. Who who did uh, Queensrÿche at the time? I Neil Car- Neil Carnan. Neil, yes, we we met Neil. We we met Neil and 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 uh, I think we did some demos and and that we didn't go we didn't go forward with that. Um, we were kind of in that in that sort of vein. We had the chance of because now we were working with uh, with McGee Entertainment, who 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 had uh, Bon Jovi, they had Motley Crue, and we were going to go down that road. Uh-huh. Um, but but we wanted to go our direction. We didn't we didn't want to get stuck with with you know a similar kind of sound and production. <laughs> that would have been a mistake, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so we ended up with Frank Filippetti. Uh, you know, it was a very short list. There wasn't there wasn't sort of you know a long line of producers that we particularly wanted to work with. We just we just wanted it was going to do justice to. Michael Schenker's guitar playing, um, really, and 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 you know even though even though UFO has always been such a big cult following and his sound is is you know somewhat associated with with the Scorpions, we we wanted we wanted something that was going to you know this is this is Michael Schenker you guys need to hear about this guy on a broader scale you know and and we thought. Uh, at least the management were telling us, you know, you need to get on, you need to get your MTV songs together, and and that'll expose the whole thing. Uh-huh. And you know, we 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 did okay doing it, you know, severe competition out there, even in the eighties, you know. But we uh, we made somewhat of a name, and uh, you know, we did the Rush tour, we did we did the White Snake tour, we did the Leffert tour, which was all great exposure, and so we kind of. We had a we had a chance. We had a chance to do something and make some sort of an indent. And the rest, as they say, is, is history. As fast as it came, it went because in '92 or '91, you know, Seattle opened the door to grunge, and then you had Alternative, and so everything that we were doing was like, see ya, <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. So, so Robin, the other change was uh, Mitch Perry left the band and he got Steve Mann in. Now, did, did Mitch leave during the Perfect Timing tour or was it after the tour? Yeah, Mitch only did the Rush portion of the Perfect Timing tour with us. And Steve, of course, was... Steve was there from, from, the, from the beginning, all the way from the very beginning. And uh, Steve had written some of the songs with me. Destiny was one of them off, off Perfect Timing. And his dad got very ill, and he didn't. He did not want to be on the road, and so he decided to uh, take a back seat. And we were in the states. We were here, and we were um, prepping for rehearsals. And we needed another guitar keyboard player. And Michael bumped into Mitch, and 
And that all happened at a, an apartment uh, a block that we were staying at in the valley here. And uh, Pete Way was there with, with, with Wasted. So it was it was one big party, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and and so Mitch Mitch was hanging and uh Michael and Mitch got talking and then they started just, you know, jamming in one of the apartment rooms together and Michael called me in and he goes, I think we found the guy. So Mitch came out and uh was on the Give Me Your Love video and then he did the rush tour with us. Okay. And and of course, after that, then we went into we went into save yourself and everything. We just got different people in and that sort of stuff. Hmm. Now, how, how many of the how many of the songs on save yourself uh, had you left over from from perfect timing, or were they all brand new? All brand new. We didn't we didn't keep anything. Okay. But there were some. There were there were definitely a bunch that didn't even make it to uh, that we had written that did not make it to perfect timing. That we just dumped. We never, we never went back. We didn't look at it. We didn't, we didn't think of taking them into another and and even reworking them. We went, nope, let's move forward. Uh-huh. And uh, when we wrote "Save Yourself," there was just uh, just Michael and I here uh, in the states. And uh, Michael would work up stuff. We'd get together. We'd start, you know, hacking it out and. And that's how that came about. Oh, did did yeah, the la- all did, fresh. did the label try and push like Desmond Child or Holly Knight or Jim Valance on you guys at all? No, they didn't, and I don't think we would have gone down that road. I mean, uh, with Desmond Child, it would have been great because you know, you know, he's a hit factory, you know, uh-huh. and all of that sort of stuff. And and uh, you know, we were we were mixing with the video people who were working with Aerosmith and Diane Warren and all of that stuff. So all of those names were were hot and heavy. And sure, we we probably would have come out with you know a huge single out of all of that, but we just didn't go down that road. We tried to do it our way, um, despite the fact that that there was there was overpowering influence of we need the track we need the single we need the single you know and uh, Steve Mann and myself of course were responsible for writing uh, anytime uh-huh. so we carried that over but the rest we pretty was pretty much Michael Michael and myself uh-huh. and one, you know, of the, one of the things you know, I notice about the three records you've done is with, with Michael um there's a lot of a lot of co-writes on it. Like Michael's name is not on every single song, so he was okay with no no matter who brought the song in. If it was good enough, it was going on the record. Yes, yeah. He he thought you know if you have an idea, bring it in, bring it in, and let's listen. I wrote a lot of stuff with Rocky uh, Newton. Uh-huh. I wrote stuff with with Steve, and on the very last record, uh, Michael and I had finished that in terms of of uh, song selection. And then the uh, the A and R guys at the at the label uh, came to us and they said we don't we don't we don't hear the single, so they put me together with uh, Sammy Hager's keyboard player Jesse Harms, uh, who had also written a bunch of uh, big hits for uh, Eddie Money, so they they put me with Jesse. Um, and Jesse said, what are you looking for? And I went, what do I know? You know? <laughs> so like, well, really, what do I know? They're looking for that sort of MTV song. And, um, he had a bunch of stuff flying around and I went, mm, I like this. What is that? And he goes, oh, it's just a, it's just a piano part. There was nothing more to it. So we started working on it and, um, we put it into a very rough sort of format, you know, verse, intro, chorus, that sort of stuff. And uh, I remember I had booked a weekend in, in Palm Springs. I went away. I brought the track with me. I sat out by the pool, stuck my my in-ears on, and I started working on the melody. I came back to Jesse on the Monday, and I went, let's see what we got here. And he goes, this is great. Let's work it up. So we worked it up, demoed it, took it back to the label, and they went, that's the one. Let's do it. That that's really was it. So Michael was Michael was pretty okay with it. He was pretty okay with with um, different writers, but most of the writers were inside the band anyway, you know. Uh-huh. And then a lot of the stuff we'd work up all together as a band in the room, you know. Uh-huh. Um, 
But yeah, his name, his credits, he doesn't have a credit on, on any time. He doesn't have a credit on the likes of When I'm Gone and that sort of stuff. Oh. You know, mostly the, mostly those kind of singles. Yet there are some great songs like Never Ending Nightmare. It's, it's, we thought would be a single and we shot a video for that and uh, they didn't push it very hard simply because we did it immediately after any time and they didn't want to follow a ballad with another ballad basically you know radio formats being what they are and all that sort of stuff oh. so a lot of stuff was dictated to us and 30 something years later people go well you know that period was very different and not a lot of people like the macaulay Schenker period and and i'm going well michael wrote the music <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know yeah you know so as much as you're criticizing whatever it is you think that i did to it you know i didn't write the music michael wrote the music you oh. know, i just i just wrote my shit over top of it you yeah. know so robin what, what's your memories of writing bad boys do you remember writing that song Yes, I do. Oh my God! So we were we were with uh, speaking of producers. We uh, we had been introduced to the Stravinsky brothers, uh, which was Alan Niven, uh, Alan Niven, uh, and Michael Lardy had both uh, worked on the production with Guns N' Roses, and of course he also Alan managed Great White, uh-huh. and Michael, of course, is the guitar keyboard player with Great White. And so they were introduced to us as potential producers, and we spent some time working with them. And um, Alan had heard a very rough version of, of of Bad Boys, and it was it was always meant lyrically, from my point of view, to be very sort of L.A. tongue in cheek stuff. That's really all it was. It was just. Just let's let's write it this way and have fun with it. And we had lots of shit going on in the background and all that sort of thing. And it was basically bad boy drunk and debauchery and up and down the Sunset Strip. Really, that's really how how the whole idea came about. And I remember when Alan heard it because uh, he'd been living here. He was almost offended by it that we would you know be taking the piss out of you know L.A. And I'm going, <laughs> what else could you do with it? What else could you do with it? Right? Yeah. Seriously, you know, <laughs> and so and and so we went. No, 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 dude. This is this, this is what it's got to be like, you know, and uh, um, and so it went forward. It, it really had much changes at all from from how we had first written it. It kind of stuck to where it was, and we both thought, yeah, this this is just a little bit of tongue in cheek and and a, and and a, and a fun track, nothing more. Nothing more at all than just a bit of fun track, you know, sunshine with the roof down, you know, uh-huh. and uh, let's go check out the babes on Sunset Strip and up at the rainbow. And, <laughs> and there you have it. And that's kind of what it was. And that's, that's what it ended up as then. Uh-huh. And uh, it's still a lot of fun to do live, you know. Oh, it's a great song. A lot of fun. Love it. Yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah. So w- when when it comes to recording your vocals, Robin, what's the biggest difference between the way Andy did them with you and the way Frank did them with you? Oh, I think Frank, Frank, um, Frank recorded me like I sound, and and by that I mean. Yes, you can be recorded, and mics have a lot to do with it. You know, I I, I have I have my uh, Frank. I remember came into the studio when we were recording anytime, and he goes, "Today we're going to sing into a real microphone." <laughs> and I went, "Oh, have we not been doing that all the time?" <laughs> and he said, "No, look what I got here." He said, "I actually have the the, the Neumann eighty seven that Lou Graham um, recorded all of four and a four on." <laughs> Wow. And he goes, and he goes. Let's set it up and see what you sound like. And once he had set it up, he goes, "Yeah, we're going to redo all those other tracks because this is the mic that you should be using. This mic really suits your vocals. It's got it's got all of the top end, and it 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 brings out the warmth of those mid ranges. And uh, as a matter of fact, I only specifically use that microphone." Not not that particular one, but that model of microphone on everything that I do now, and and have done since Save Yourself, and you know it's like it's like you find what works for you, and it 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 works you don't fix it, you know. Huh. 
and and it became my go-to microphone. And I worked with producers on different tribute stuff, and they go, "I got a great mic you need to use." And I went, "Yeah, but I can tell you, we'll come back to this one." You know? <laughs> and, and 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 it's not being arrogant, but it's just like we would we would try out all of these different microphones, and we'd always come back to the to the Neumann eighty-seven, always. And in fact, the the project with. Uh, with Jeff Pilsen was really funny because when I walked into Jeff, he goes, I have an Oyman 87 that's going to sound great on your voice. And I went, good man, Jeff Pilsen. You know, and we set it up and we never even looked at another microphone, never even tried another one because it's just, it's just like a guitar player, like Michael Schenker playing his flying D with a 50, a 50 watt Marshall head. That's what he does. That's what he sounds like. That's him. And that's just all that's to it. Oh. And it, you know, you know, don't fuck with it. You know, I remember during the uh, Perfect Timing tour, we had um, we had Eddie Van Halen's uh, guitar tech come and work with Michael. And Michael is very, very basic. It's a flying V. It's a fifty head Marshall. It's it's a wah wah pedal and and a small reverb pedal. Very very basic stuff. And this guitar tech dude, he was bringing in pedal boards that would fill a whole stage. Press this and kick that and try this. And I remember Michael picking it up off the stage during one uh, sound check at a festival. And this thing just took off like a flying saucer. <laughs> and I am not kidding you. I'm not kidding you. He just, he fucked this thing so fast across stage. He almost decapitated a bunch of people on stage. <laughs> and that was the end of that. And I said, I could have told you guys this at the beginning. Wow. Just, you, can't, you can't flood him with all of this bullshit. He doesn't mm. need all of that stuff. Yeah. That's not, that's not the sound that he has, you know? So, and, and, and he's the same today. It's like less is more. So, so Robin, b- back then, what did you want from a producer? Did you want a producer to bark at you to get a performance out of you or, or to put his arm around you? Oh, I don't think you can get anything like that. I think what's important is, is you know, you, you don't just write songs and then go straight in and record them. You know, you, you, you sit with a producer, you do pre-production, huh. and, 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 and you get the songs the way you think, this is a piece of shit, we're not going to record this, you know? Or this is a great song. We're going to work on this. We're going to get it ready, and then we'll do the pre-production on it. Work it up with the band, and if we think it still works and it's it's album worthy, we will go and record it. And and that's what happens first. You don't just write a song and go, okay, this one's ready. Let's go, because you know everything. All the parts have to fit together. You might write fifteen, twenty songs. And and you know hone it down to the twelve that you're going to record, and that's what usually happens in pre-production. And the work with the producer is is to find what's best for you as a guitar player, a singer, a drummer, a bass player, and and that all of the parts fit together, and that how you end up recording it vocally is what really suits suits you as a vocalist, and it's up to the producer to listen to to what the vocalist is doing, not me, but everybody, and, and pick out the, the better qualities in the voice and manage to capture that in a live performance. Uh-huh. And, and it's essential that, that they, they have access to a variety of microphones because depending on the mic, uh, uh, it really, some mics will not bring out um, the personality of a singer's voice. So you have to find that microphone and you go, this one really works for you. And um, and that's what we do. And do I expect a producer to, to uh, you know, um, cover everything in honey and jam to make me feel better? That doesn't get the job done. You know, it's important that at the end of the day, it's the song that works, oh. and and it's up to us as, as as musicians to 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 bring out the best that we can for the, for the song, and up to a producer to capture what he hears, and and that's really what makes it work. You oh. know, 
I, I, I don't need somebody, you know, to, to bring me flowers into the studio. Please do a good job today. Like, who cares? You know? Yeah. Did, did, you know? did you do your vocals quicker for Save Yourself than you did for Perfect Time? And can you remember? Did I? Because it just seems to me that the guy found the right mic for you. The environment was a little bit better than it probably was on Perfect Timing. And maybe you would have gotten the vocals done quicker because of it. Yeah, I don't think speed is anything. I move pretty fast anyway, Richie. Um, mm. Because because for me, I'm always of the mind that, you know, studio time is money time. And, and you're booked out for a certain time when you do an album. And you're supposed to know what you're doing before you go in there. At least that's my take on it, you know. And even when we rehearse, um, rehearsals to me is never a place for learning the songs. It's for actually honing the song and, and, and formatting it and getting the best out of the song. If you don't know what you're doing before you go to rehearsals, for example, you're going to spend a lot of time learning the song oh. in the rehearsal room. Unless you're in there for a writing session uh, and you're going into a rehearsal song that's been previously written, everybody really should know what it is that they're supposed to be doing. And then it comes together much faster and, and better. But if you're in there going, sorry, dude, I didn't get a chance to learn it. You're going to be there all day. And everybody gets frustrated because somebody didn't learn their stupid parts, you know. Hmm. But if you, if you go in a lot more prepared, you can pretty much get to the chopping block pretty fast. And, and the, the thing starts to come together and then you're going, wow, man, this is great. And then there's a different kind of energy in the room because everybody's very focused on, on making this big and bold and better. But if everybody's just learning their parts, you, you're just going to be sticking around with your, your finger up your butt going, oh. ha, this is, we'll be here all day. We'll and then the, the whole room comes down because somebody didn't get their shit together. Yeah. You're waiting. And, and when you're waiting and somebody's holding it up, it's like, ha, people keep walking in and out of the room. I need to go get a coffee. I need to go to the restroom. And, mm. and so it's a different kind of atmosphere as opposed to, you should be in the room when, when MSG re rehearses. Everybody knows what they're doing. They come in and it's, you're on 10 right from the down. It's, uh -huh. it's go. It's, 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 it's full on. And it's, it's a different atmosphere and, and, and Michael works that way and everybody knows that he works that way. So everybody's ready. Everybody's ready to go. Mm. And you clean up as you're moving along and you might move a couple of parts around, but, but only because you're making the song better and you're, you know, yes, you're rehearsing, but everybody knows their parts. So it's, it makes it just a lot more fun and a lot more high energy than mm. just people learning um, you know, uh, guitar parts or vocal parts. And yes, we go in and we have to see what vocal parts will work and who can sing which harmonies to make it better without making it too pretty, but keeping it, you know, keeping it edgy. So all of that, that sort of stuff goes on. But um, I don't know if I recorded anything faster on Save Yourself. I do know that Frank Filippetti knew what I sounded like before we started to work together. So he came in with a with a plan, and he he really taught me something that I carried with me too. Was uh, I I think I used to have a habit of lyrically writing in the third person, and he goes, "No, scratch that. You're writing the first person. Make it all about you, whether it's about you or not. And that way, it's much more personable. People relate to it more. If if they feel it's your heart that's broken, and you're not singing about somebody else's heart that's broken, or whatever the lyric may be." Hmm. And so I, I started to learn how to restructure my writing, and and it worked out better. Nice. It worked out much better. So um, you learn, you learn, and that's that's where the producer comes in because you know it's their job to see what you're capable of, and and then really working on that element. Hmm. So I don't know if that answers your question. But, yeah, but that's so, how it works for me. So when you did the vocals back then, Robin, was Michael always in the studio when you when you when you were laying them down? 
almost never there at all, but he insisted that I would be there for his guitar parts. <laughs> so I never got to go home. <laughs> yeah, he almost he he was almost never there for the vocals. Yeah, he was you know what you're doing, you don't need me here. Okay. And uh, he'd come in and he'd hear the rough mixes and, and he might just go, Yeah, why didn't you do that there and that there, you know? Because I heard you do that before, I like that better. So he'd he'd do that, but for a whole vocal track, no, he wouldn't be there. Mm. So, in fact, in fact, one of the funny things was that you know he'd he'd uh, he'd be sending me tracks, and I'd get you know I would I would I I would I would have to own the track before I'd I'd really start getting into writing all over it, you know. And then I'd hear guitar parts and honest to God, I mean I'd be I'd be walking around the studio and I'd be whistling these melodies or humming these melodies and they'd go, I hear what you're doing. And I'm going, What? He goes, You want me to play that part, that's why you keep humming it. And that's what you're doing. You're just forcing me into playing these melodies and I'm going, I am <laughs> because because I'd hear parts. I would just literally hear parts that I thought suited it, and I'd get so used to it that it, I'd be working up my own melodies, and he would always think that I was, you know, forcing a melody on him. <laughs> mm. It's funny. Of course, you don't force anything on, a, on one of the greatest guitar players in the world, but he's very open to, he loves melody, and that's what I always liked about Michael Schenker's guitar playing, mm. you know? So... just. So, Robin, would would it be fair to say that you were a lot happier with Save Yourself than you were Perfect Timing? Oh, 100%. Yeah, without even thinking about it. Absolutely. Mm. Much happier. Much happier. Yeah. Much happier. And I think the whole record sounds like it's a happier, better record anyway, you know? Mm. Definitely. We should have done a lot more, if you think about it. And we only did three records in five, six years. You know, we should have done a record a year. But, you know, I won't tell you all of the reasons behind that. <laughs> Political, you know? obviously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so when I found out I was going to be talking to you again, someone sent me a message saying that when you went out to tour Save Yourself, they seem to remember the Black Crows being one of the support acts. Is that true? That's exactly that's exactly right. They had just released uh, Shake Your Moneymaker, and the opportunity came up for them to open up the show. So they, uh, they did a very large portion of the Save Yourself tour. Yeah. Okay. That's just in the U- Was that just in America? Yes, just <laughs> in the States. Okay. Yeah. And what, what size venues would you have been in at that stage? Oh, we would, we would definitely be in sort of sheds. Uh, we would be in uh, like small theaters, that sort of stuff. Yeah, mm. good venues. Yeah, it was it was good. It was really good. And were you able to get on a tour like the White Snake tour from the, one, the album before? Yes, we got the White Snake. Well, White Snake was supposed to be much longer. We were supposed to actually go into into Germany and other parts of Europe. And I think David had there were some issues going on with with. Uh, on David's end of it. So we ended up only doing the UK portion uh, of of uh, the White Snake Tour. You know, we played Wembley, two nights or three nights of Wembley, Birmingham City Hall, in Newcastle, in Glasgow, all of that sort of stuff. Mm. Great venues, of course, for White Snake. And of course, then we, we, uh, we rolled, we had just done Rush here. That was mostly like arenas with Rush. Mm. And then, of course, we uh, we moved on up. Uh, we we did Leopard. Leopard was, of course, ridiculous. Did you, you know? did you get a chance when you were out with Whitesnake to uh, sit down with our fellow Irishman, Vivian Campbell, at all? Oh, well, I had known Vivian and have known Vivian for, oh, God. Because when I lived in Hollywood, um, I used to go see Flog and Molly at this little Irish pub called uh, Molly Malone. Uh, down on Fairfax and Six, and Vivian would come out to because Vivian and Dave King were great buddies, and that's actually the first time I had uh, met Vivian. And uh, Vivian would always say, 
Hey, you fucking orange man, yeah. <laughs> 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 that was his nickname for me. Hey, you fucking orange man. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I went up oh, wrong side of the wrong side of the fence there, buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So Dave King and uh, and Vivian and myself, um, we go back a long way. So I had known Vivian uh, before White Snake. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, he's he's actually moving. He's li- he's going to be moving up near me. I think is he's, he really? Yeah, somewhere in New Hampshire. He's going to be. Mo- he's he's probably already moved in. Ah. Yeah, he's uh, he's getting out of LA. Well, why? <laughs> well, I do- Robin, you can ask him. I don't know him as well as you do. Dude, let me let me tell you, uh, California is just so messed up these days, man. <laughs> yeah, my wife and I want to move to Texas, so we're thinking about Texas. <laughs> okay, well, it's hot there yeah. too, so you get the weather. It is, it is, it is. Yeah, so I'm not going to get into the the Red Beach thing. I'm sure it's going to be absolutely stellar, Robin. I, I can't. Yeah, they, no. they've already started sending mixes in. I've seen the artwork. Uh, the name I can't tell you the name because they want to keep it. Uh, they want to keep it till till they have the press release. Um, <clears throat> I love it. I'm very happy with it. It was a hell of a lot of fun recording with Jeff. You know, I, when Gina and I got married in our. Um, in our state wedding, in our registry office wedding, Jeff was our chief witness. I don't know if you know that. He told so, me that. He told me that when yeah. I met him. Yeah. So, so Jeff and I go back. Oh dear God, a long, long way. And when he called me on this, um, he said um, the label want want me to put you together with Red Beach, and I'm going, well, to do what? And I said, I really don't want to do more of the same kind of a deal because, you know, it's not going to do anything. And um, he said, well, I'm going to pick a bass player and I'm going to pick a drummer. Ainsley Dunbar actually was, was up for in one of the earlier, the original drummer of the whole session. Um, and that didn't work out for, I can't remember, whatever, scheduling or whatever. Uh-huh. And a different bass player. And I went, why wouldn't you play bass? And he goes, no, I want to stand back and, and take a different perspective on it. And of course, by the end of the day, Reb and I both bludgeoned him into uh, actually playing bass because he, he put all of the uh, he put all of the roughs down throughout the, the writing session. And, and we said, why would you want to go show somebody else your parts when you already played them so much better? So... We got him to play bass, which was fantastic because, and he's great to work with. I mean, he's just so much energy, that man. Oh, yeah. It's just awesome. It's just awesome. So I'm very happy, very happy with the record. And I hope, uh, you know, scheduling is going to be a bitch because we're all very busy. Matt Starr plays drums and he's a monster on it. He's absolutely a monster what he did on there. Some great songs. We're excited about it. I hope, I hope that we can all collectively with our schedules as crazy as they are set aside some time and, and uh, actually hit the boards and do some live shows. I know the record label wants us to, so we, we will we will have to make that happen. Mm. So, so I'm, I'm really, really excited about it. I'm very excited. I, I never thought I'd be actually doing something like this at my stage. I thought, yeah, well, let's the, finish the shank stuff and call it a day. The, <laughs> the one thing I said to, re, uh, to Jeff when I met him, I said... Robin hasn't really been on all any of the projects. You're like the Frontiers have had a, a shitload of projects over the last say ten years, and your name yeah. has never been on any of them. And now you're on right. this. And I said that's definitely going to be a selling point. And I think the same goes with Reb because Reb has Winger and White Snake, but you don't see him on five or six albums a year like some of the other guys. Yeah, and and the funny thing was that uh, maybe. Maybe a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, Frontiers came to me personally. And they said, we've always wanted to do a record with you. And we're going to send you a bunch of songs and we're going to put a producer with you. And I'm going, yeah, not going to do that. And I go, well, why not? And I'm going, why would I want to work with a producer that I don't know anything about? He says, well, he's, with, he's worked with, with Rob Halford and Bruce Dickinson. I said, yeah, but he doesn't know anything about me. And you're going to write a whole bunch of songs from me, you know? 
and and it, I was I, I was a little annoyed about it because I went, nah, now you're just going to rehash something, you know. Huh. And so I decided that I said, well, let's rethink this down down the road somewhere, and you know, let's not just say that it's it's I don't want to do it, but I don't want to do it right now. And I was really busy. And then Pilsen called me six months ago, and he goes, guess what I'm going to say? <laughs> and I said, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, said, well, let me tell you what the story is. And he goes, I understand exactly what's going on. He goes, this will be something that you guys will be doing. You guys will work together. I'll be working with you. And it'll be a whole, it'll be a project that we want to do. And I went, now we're talking. You know, huh. and it wasn't that I had. To, it wasn't that I had to write the stuff. If Jeff had written everything, I'd have gone in and sang it because he knows. He's we're we're just closer. We just know more about each other. You know. Yeah. And I would have been happy. I would have been happy with it. And Jeff said, "No, I want you to get co- completely stuck into this." And he goes, "This is going to be great." And I think it's great. I think it's great. They wanted. They wanted us specifically to work a classic rock record. They didn't want us to move too far out of the realm. And God knows we had plenty of ideas to to get out of that mold. Uh-huh. But we gave it a little edge so that we'd feel a little bit more comfortable with it. Uh-huh. And uh, and we're very happy with it. Uh-huh. Very happy with it. So, so, so hopefully you'll hear it sooner as opposed to later. Yeah, so final question, Robin. What, what's happening to rating the rock vault? Is that winding down? Is it going on the road? What, what's happening Rockford there? Is winding down as far as uh, the hard rock in Vegas is concerned. We will run right up through December 30th. We typically take August break because it's just a very slow time in Vegas, which is why I get a chance to be home and do the garden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we will actually go to the UK first two weeks of December. Um, and, uh, we have, uh, we have potentially five shows penciled in that look like they may all be sold out already oh, from, nice. UK, from, from London. Yeah. So they're going to do a little test run in there to see how it sits. And, uh, the producers have told us that it will roll into next year. The show will go on. But as far as the hard rock is concerned, hard rock has been bought by, uh, Richard Branson's company. Virgin. Okay. And the hard rock will, will become uh, Virgin Hotels sometime in 2020. But with uh, regards to uh, Rockfault, um, our, our run will cease December 30th. Okay. And then we'll, we'll see what happens in 2020. Okay. So there you have it. Well, Robin, I'm going to leave you go and do the garden now. <laughs> you're too kind. You're too kind. I'm sure you're. I'm How's sure. the weather in New Hampshire today? Um, it is about 85. Oh, that's good. Yeah, you know the Irish. Humid. Yeah, I'm. A, you know the Irish man. We're well used to 85 degrees. Of course you are. <laughs> Here, so when are you when are you going to get home next? You have any idea? When are you going to get back to Ireland? Um, well, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know, but uh, my son Jamie is suddenly getting into golf for one of my younger brothers. Ah. He's a, a big golfer, and uh, he wants to go spend a week a week with him. So any any excuse to get back to the old side, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, Robin, I'm going to leave you go. You give me uh, more than enough time. Pleasure talking well, to you God again. God bless you. All right. Awesome. I'll, you too. I'll see you, you out. Th- I'll see you out there, Robin. Okay. Yes, too. All right. I will. You know where I am. I do. All right, Robin. Thanks. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. There you go. Richie's chat with Robin McCauley. And you want to uh, do yourself a favor and check out what's going on with uh, Shanker Fest. You can go up to michaelshankerhimself.com. Check out all of that. And if you haven't already done so, order yourself up a copy of the brand new one, Revelations. I know I did way back in March, and then I keep forgetting when it's going to be released. So it's a good thing we talked to Robin. It's kind of my signpost of expectation here. And right now, I think probably your best bet as far as keeping track of what's going on with the uh, secret project there is to either keep tabs on the Frontiers website, because that is a Frontiers project. Or keep it tuned right here, and as soon as we find out any more information we're allowed to share, we are definitely going to do that. And lastly, if you don't already have a copy of the Macaulay Shanker release, Save Yourself, what are you waiting for? You've had 30 years to buy the damn thing. Go out and pick up a copy. I've even got a Japanese copy myself. 
And I will say that uh, just even seeing Robin recently with Shankerfest, he still does totally bring it to every one of the songs they do off of that one. And uh, when they do uh, Save Yourself, it is uh, definitely a spot on. So not sure what is up for next week. A couple of different things we're juggling around, just haven't settled in on it as it is. I mean, the last two weeks were kind of an up in the air, but at least we had some idea of which of the two we were going to do. Uh, not so for next week, but we'll figure it out by the time that rolls around. I mean, hell, I got another seven days to figure it out, right? And while you're waiting, you can always catch up with some older episodes up at focusonmetal.net, or you can talk with Richie over on Facebook and hit me up over on Twitter. And if you want to see any of the show notes from any of the past episodes, go over to focusonmetal.blogspot.com. And there is uh, show notes for, oh, a damn uh, huge amount of years of stuff going way, way back. But for this week, that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This one is definitely done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal... Have yourselves a good metal week, and until we talk to you again next week, remember... Focus on metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.